Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our Connections Director, Jen Lewis, for this week's message. I love hearing stories of people's faith, how they came to an understanding and then a commitment to Christ is so fascinating to me. I could listen to them over and over and over again, just one after another after another. Because what is so often what you see is that you see God pursuing them for a while. You see uh, them, them in their stories, you know, there's, there's something in there that, that maybe everything appears fine on the outside, but there's a void on the inside. Or, or something is just really wrong in their lives and they look to their creator for, for a fix or an answer. And there's always this common thread that, that kind of could be described as, as something in them was dead, but it came alive with Christ. Today we're going to look at... Um, eight verses in the last chapter of Mark. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. And we are going to look at the most incredible verses ever written. We are going to look at the most important event in all of Christianity, and really in all of world history, in all of eternity. And I'm not exaggerating. This event that we get to talk about today is what Christianity is based on. All of our faith hinges on this moment in time. It's the moment when Jesus proves that he is who he said he was. It's the moment that he proves that he has power over death and and power over the consequences of our sin. It's the moment in time where we see ordinary people's lives changed forever. And not just ordinary people's lives changed 2,000 years ago. But this moment is what changes each and every life that has a story of faith in it. And so today I want to look at these eight verses and specifically look at those individual stories of ordinary people and how they encountered this moment and what happened to them and and how it impacted them and then ultimately consider how does it impact us in 2022. Now, if any of you have ever unfortunately, grieved the loss of someone close to you. You know, maybe you've, you've not necessarily grieved that kind of a loss, but you've grieved the loss of a relationship that was very important to you. If you've experienced that, it's, it's probable that you have also experienced the early mornings in that early section of, of grief. It's the time when you, you know, you finally fall asleep. You can finally just forget it all for a little while, and then you wake up and you're in this kind of fuzzy place where things just don't feel right. You don't necessarily understand or remember. Just in this kind of split-second moment when you're waking up, you don't necessarily remember what is it you feel sad about, what feels so wrong, and then all of a sudden the realization hits and you remember, and the grief just kind of comes in all over the waves of despair are just around you. I think about that specific feeling when I come to these verses in Scripture. Because Myron last week shared the fact that Jesus was dead. That he had been killed on the cross by Roman soldiers. 
that he'd been tortured and nailed to a cross, and that he had been um, stabbed, basically, or, or speared with a sword in his side. And ultimately, he breathed what we thought were his last breaths. And he was taken down, and he was put into a borrowed tomb and laid to rest. And what we see in these verses is the response of those who loved him. You see, he was, he was put in the tomb right before Sabbath. And so scriptures say in the book of John that Joseph of, of Arimathea and Nicodemus had, had covered Jesus with, with linens that were soaked in spices and, and oils. But that the women who had followed Jesus, who had been kind of the disciples, not the twelve, but other disciples of Jesus, had watched this happen, but they hadn't gotten to be a part of the process. And so apparently during the Sabbath, right before the Sabbath and, and during the Sabbath, they had made plans that they wanted to themselves go together back to the tomb and put some more spices and, and do kind of their own ritual with him, with his body, the day after the Sabbath. And so we're going to pick up on that Sunday morning where they're, they're waking up again to their grief early in the morning, getting ready to go to put those spices on his body. But as we do this, I want us to really slow down and think about how this had to have impacted the women that followed Jesus. You know, if you think about it, they had dedicated their lives at this point to him. They loved him, and he had loved them back. You know, in, in so many ways, they had never known a love like this from a man. He had loved them in a very unique and powerful way. He, he hadn't loved them in a sexual way or in a familial way, but he had loved them as a God loves his children, as God loves his creation. He loved them in a way that if you know someone and you know them to the core and you understand who they are and you still appreciate them and, and want to spend time with them, that's how Jesus loved them. And most likely, these women had not ever been valued that way by a man. Now, we don't know their specific stories. They may have had unique experiences for their time. But at this point in history, most women were seen not much more than just a means to an end. Their worth would have been based on what they could provide the men in their lives, whether it be children or strategic family alliances or for pleasure. Most were seen almost like property. They were not worthy of school or education. They would not have been included in spiritual conversations. And the rules for that day required just very strict behavior for them. They wouldn't have been able to, allowed to go out in public unless they had, um, you know, someone with them, either a male relative or a slave or their husband. Society taught that they would have to adhere to the absolute direction of the, the senior male in their life or their husband. They were usually not allowed to be a part of important conversations. In fact, in many situations, in many households, if the husband had friends over or business acquaintances over for dinner, the women were not allowed to be a part of the conversation. They were not allowed to worship in the same place where men worshipped, and in some situations, they weren't even allowed to go to the synagogues at all. Josephus, a Jewish-Roman historian who lived during this time, he said, he wrote this, and we still have record of it, that, that the words of women are untrustworthy. Their words were not held up in Roman court of law. They wouldn't have been held up in Jewish courts of law. 
The Talmud, which was the Jewish rule book for how society worked at the time, said that the women's words carried no weight in court. Their eyewitness accounts were not even considered. But Jesus had treated them differently. Jesus had seen them. He did, he'd noticed them. He engaged in spiritual conversation with them. He taught them alongside of men. He even encouraged women to go ahead and learn and to follow him. He included them. He had compassion on them. He cared for their needs. He healed them. He healed their loved ones. And he welcomed them into his fold. This was radically different, like crazy different at that time. Now, some women had it better, but that was, that was not the norm. The majority of people, the majority of women in particular, were oppressed significantly during this time. And it wasn't that he just seemed to treat them well. Like, this was a guy of power. This was a man who demanded respect, and he taught profound truths to them. He spoke to them, to the voids in their lives, and, and he changed them. They were different. And now he was gone. He'd been killed like a horrible, brutal death that they watched happen. He had done nothing wrong. They had unjustly tortured him. And these women saw it all. They watched their beloved Jesus stop breathing. They watched his side pierced with a Roman sword. They watched his body limp and lifeless taken down and put into a borrowed tomb. They watched it all. And then they woke up that morning and Sunday morning in that crazy deep place of grief. And they got to work ready to go and to honor him one last time. So we're going to pick up in verse 16. And that's kind of the mindset of where they are at this point. It says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go anoint Jesus' body. Now, I have to stop here for a minute, and this is kind of more on the comical side of things, but it's, it's a true statement. If you are going to make up a story, which many people think that Jesus' resurrection is a made-up part of the story, that he was a good guy and he taught good things, but he was never, you know, risen, for, he never rose from the dead. But here's where I think it's interesting. Just in that first sentence, if you were to make up that story, wouldn't you vary the names? How many Marys did Jesus actually have in his life? It gets so confusing. I would think that if we were going to make up the story, we would have a Jill and a Susan and, or Rachel, a Hannah, whatever, but not all these Marys. Anyway, verse 2, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb now see they were so lost in their grief they were so focused on what they were going to do but they didn't even think about the fact that this the tomb had been covered with this huge stone you see tombs in the day would have um, basically just been caves kind of dug out into the limestone of the side of a hill or a mountain and these tombs would have been family tombs so the 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 stone that covered the entrance would be movable. It, it wouldn't be easily movable, but it was movable because what would happen is after somebody else died, they would cover that body in spices and they would put it in the tomb as well. And after a while, as the bodies decomposed and as they needed more room with more family members dying, they just pushed the bones back and put more bodies into the tomb. So each time that happened for the family, they would take the effort of rolling the stone away and then putting it back. It wasn't an easy process because you didn't want it to just happen and let wild animals 
animals in. But it was possible. But these women knew they weren't going to be able to move that stone. And so they're walking here. And you can imagine just the, the grief. You know, they're, they're, oh, we didn't even think about this. How are we going to do this? But they get to the tomb and God had taken care of it. It says in verse 4, but when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Now, isn't it interesting that they even have, like, the right side? Like, there's so much detail here that we just kind of brush over. It's detail that, that shows some authenticity to the story. But can you imagine? You know, they're, 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 they're just depressed, they're grieving, they're sad. Now they're frustrated and discouraged because they hadn't thought of everything. And then they look up, the stone's rolled away, they go in and there's some dude. Some dude with a bright, bright white robe on, you know, whiter than they're probably used to seeing. Because it's hard to clean white stuff and keep it clean 2,000 years ago in a country that didn't have detergent and washing machines. And so they notice this guy, and he's not Jesus, and he's alive and not dead, and there's no body. I mean, there must have been just this moment of like, what in the world? This is too good to be true. And the, and the gospels share, the other gospels share that they had followed Joseph and Nicodemus to the tomb. They knew which tomb they were to go to. They knew where they were supposed to be. This was the right tomb, but there was no Jesus. There was no body. I mean, you can imagine the emotions. You can imagine the shock and the amazement and the disbelief and the, the fear all rushing in at the same time. They weren't thinking straight at the moment, I'm sure. But looking back, I bet you they said this was the moment that changed their lives. Because this is the moment that if we look back, changed all of history. So the angel goes on, says, But go, tell his disciples and Peter, He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, obviously, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now these eight verses share the most earth-shattering news ever to be told in history. They're really the most consequential words ever written. The empty tomb proves that Jesus is who he said he was. The empty tomb proves that Jesus defeated death and sin. It proves that he's the son of God. It proves that Jesus cannot be defeated. It proves that he is the one who will reign forever. That faith in him is faith in the one who makes all things right. That he is powerful enough to eliminate the curse of sin and death that he's the one who bridges the gap between a sinful and fallen creation and a righteous and holy creator. The empty tomb gives people for all time the opportunity to have their own faith story. We have hope even in death because death is not the end now that we see that Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus died on the cross, but, but lots of people have been killed by, by crucifixion. Jesus was unjustly killed, but lots of people have been unfairly killed. Jesus died for the sake of others, but there were lots of people throughout history who've died for the sake of others. But no one other than Jesus has raised himself from the dead. No one else has lived a sinless life to pay for the ransom of those who were enslaved to sin and then rose again. Jesus rose again. He defeated sin and death. In these eight verses, we see it. 
You know, there's, there's no other religion that offers this. None. There's lots of great writings. There's lots of books of wisdom. There's lots of great leaders who were charismatic and wise and good. But none of them did this. All of them died. All of them returned to dust, but not Jesus. And so the angel tells the women, go and tell. Now, isn't it just like Jesus that he would use the lowly and the weak and the oppressed to bring glory to his name? Isn't it just like Jesus in his kind of upside-down kingdom that he would do this? These women who loved him, the women who wanted to serve him one last time are the ones to get to tell everybody else. I mean, have you ever been in on a good secret and you're excited that you get to be the one to tell? I mean, I think about, I think about the time that my sister and I, we found out we were both pregnant right around the same time and we got to go tell my mom. And it was so exciting that I kind of knew ahead of time that she was pregnant and she knew ahead of time that I was pregnant and we got to tell my mom just that privilege of getting to tell good news first. These women who had been raised to believe that their words had no worth, that their eyewitness accounts didn't matter at all, got to be the ones who spoke the most important eyewitness account of all time. They got the privilege of telling the greatest news ever. Now, Christians often get kind of labeled as people who want to kind of keep women in their place. And there's, I mean, there's complicated reasons for that. But this moment says something about God's view of women with their value and their worth. Now, the resurrection wasn't about women's liberation I mean, I guess in a sense you could argue, well, he liberated everybody in that moment, which, yes, he did, spiritually speaking. But it is significant that he let them be the first witnesses. It is. Now, I'm going to go down a rabbit hole for just a second, and I want you to bear with me. I wrote this part of the message and then took it back out and then put it back in because I felt like God was, it was pressing it on me because I feel like in some ways there's issues in our culture with this particular aspect of, um, of gender and male and female issues. And, and so I kind of want to bring this up for just a second. And I don't want you to pigeonhole me. If you don't know me, like, and you're thinking, oh, this woman pastor, she's like going to go off about women's rights and this is like her soapbox time or whatever. Like, please know this is really actually not a big issue for me. Like, I... I'm on the teaching team, but I'm not a pastor, and I don't want to be, and um, even on the teaching team, like, I never strived for this. Like, I got asked to do this, and then I prayed about it, and then God kind of confirmed it. Like, this is not a big thing for me, but these, this scripture's here, and this topic is an issue that I think is very important for us to address in our culture today, because if we're honest, we've got some confusing messages being sent to us about gender at this point. I am confident that God sees women as equal in value and in worth, and that we have important roles to play in the church. And that being said, I think gender matters. I think there's a, there's, there is a difference between the sexes, and I think it's important. I think that God created two genders for a reason. I think he created genders with corresponding physical parts for a reason. I believe that God has an order to the family and an order to the church. 
And I believe that we all get roles, sometimes they're traditional roles, sometimes they're non-traditional roles, but we all have roles to play in the body of Christ. In the past, women were oppressed, and that is bad. It's horrible. I mean, even today, there are countries around the world where this first century kind of view of women is still the predominant view, and I don't think that's okay, and I don't think Jesus thinks that's okay. This was, and in some places, still is a problem. But oftentimes, we as humans try to fix problems, and we end up overcorrecting. And I think, honestly, in our culture, there are instances where this pendulum has swung a little bit further than it needed to. The message has gone from both men and women are worthy and valued and loved, and it has turned into kind of this competition between the sexes. Like, girls are being taught that not only are they equal to boys, but they're better than boys. You know, there's shirts that say, you know, or stickers or whatever, you know, girls rule and boys drool, and you can kind of laugh that off as a joke, maybe. And then you think about it, and as you're raising boys and girls in this culture, you're thinking, what is that message being sent to boys? And really, what is that message being sent to girls? It's not a competition especially in the body of Christ, especially in the church. This is not a competition. We are on the same team. We are working for the same goal. And God gives each of us different jobs, different assignments for us to further his kingdom together. But by allowing women to be the first witnesses, Jesus is affirming that there is a role for women in his community and affirming that they may very well have something important to say. But important to note, when Jesus elevated women in his actions, he didn't demote men. You know, I think sometimes, and, and this is kind of abstract, but just go with me for a minute. I think sometimes because women were considered lowly in the past, we have somehow equated their traditional roles with the low position in society. So, whatever their traditional role was now kind of has this lowly um, perspective to it. But it's foolish to believe that traditional roles of women are of little importance. Like, I, if you, we all listed the people who were the most influential in our lives today, many of us would have women at the very top. Most of us would have our mother in the top five. And she probably, at least in the role of mother, was playing a traditional role in our lives. In fact, these three women in this passage, in fulfilling this humble role of serving a loved one in death, provided, it, they were provided with the opportunity to see God move in a miraculous way. Sometimes, the cultural message isn't even necessarily one of competition, but it's one that says it doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter. No, it does matter. It does matter. God designed each one of us the way he designed us for a reason. You know, as a mom of both boys and girls, I can see this confusing message today, and it causes boys to question what does it mean to be a man? And it's causing girls right now to just flat out abandon femininity completely. But God designed us each the way he did for a reason. You are in the body you are in for a reason. You have a purpose and God has a plan for you. He had a plan and a purpose for these women as they came to the tomb that day. 
just like he had a plan and a purpose for the 12 male disciples. Now, Jesus was obviously doing something much bigger than acknowledging the value of women in this resurrection, but he did allow it to be a part of the story. And I think it's important to note that the cultural views of gender at the time didn't stop Jesus from his plan. And the same is true today. The confusing and misleading views of gender in our time are not going to keep Jesus from his purpose for you. Each one of us, male or female, have been placed in the bodies we are in for a reason. And he has placed us in the time and the place we are in for a reason. He has a plan for you, exactly as you were designed in your mother's womb, for your good and for his glory. Now, on top of all that, the fact that the women were the first to tell the news also points to the authenticity of the story. If someone had made this up, considering everything we've already talked about, they would not have made women the first witnesses. But God, you know, he wrote the story, and he likes to do stuff like that. All right, so moving on. There's another individual faith story that I want us to see here. We only see a glimpse of it. We only see the beginning of it, but I think it's extremely important to take a minute and look at. I don't know if you caught it, but I read it already. The angel said, but go tell his disciples and Peter. I love those two words. I love that the angel included Peter separately. Now remember, the book of Mark is, Mark wrote it down, but it's Peter's story. And so Peter is conveying to Mark here that the angel included him. Now this is important because remember what just transpired with Peter. Okay, go back just a few chapters if you forget in the book of Mark. But Peter had specifically promised, looked Jesus in the eye and said, I will not leave you. I will not betray you. I will stand with you. I will die with you. I'm paraphrasing. But he committed to never forsaking Jesus. And within 72 hours, he had run away. In Jesus's deepest need, he had abandoned him. So you can think about, you know, think about the grief that the women had, but now think about that times like 20 onto Peter because it includes all this shame and regret and unfinished business between he and Jesus. You think about the fact that he's sitting in these moments and he's thinking it's over, it's done. All these three years where I was with this man, this man who loved me and I loved him and I put my hope in him and I'd given my life to him and then I messed up and then he died and I can't make it right. And it's over. It's done. And, I, and he'll never know. He'll never know how sorry I am. And how unforgivable he must have felt. Just the shame. And you know the devil was just like one lie after another against him. You know it. And the angel says, you go tell the disciples and Peter. You let Peter know that he still is included. You let Peter know that he is forgiven, that he is loved, that, he, that Jesus did not give up on him. Jesus knew that he was going to fall. He knew that he was going to make mistakes. He knew. He watched it happen. And he still wanted Peter. So if there was any question in Peter's mind that, that if he said to bring the disciples, if Peter said, well, I'm not one of them anymore, or even if it was in the minds of the other disciples, Peter's not worth it anymore. The angel's making it clear, no, God wants Peter. 
God wants him. He's not unforgivable. He is not past hope. And I look at that line and I think this is really a call to all of us. You know, I mean, so many of us come in week after week and we think, oh, if these people really knew my history or if they really knew how much I sin or, oh, somebody convinced me to come and I kind of like this whole Jesus thing, but I have done so many things wrong. I am so messed up. I am so screwed up. Or maybe there's some of you who you think, yeah, Jesus will let me in because he's kind of obligated to. He, he said that he would, that if I call on the name of the Lord, I will be saved. But I mean, it, I'm just right there because I have done way too much. This, these two words, and Peter, are for us too. That in those moments when we feel unforgivable, when we feel like we're past the point of any hope, that Jesus would never just want to be with us, that we see this and we the line, the lie is blown up. It's just blown up. God loves you. He died for you. He rose again for you. It doesn't matter what you've done. Because he's bigger. He's bigger than death. He's bigger than every single sin, sin you can think of. He is bigger than the consequences of those sin. That doesn't mean you don't have to live with those consequences, but he is bigger than the curse, and he is bigger than death, and he has promised you that he is the way and the truth and the life. And he doesn't just promise that to those who have behaved themselves all their lives. He loves you. He wants you. And what is so incredible about these stories is that we see that we are continually invited, that we are continually forgiven. Because what happened in this death and resurrection is that the power of sin no longer has a hold on us like it did before. The chains are broken, and we are set free. Romans 6 says this, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. In the same way that Jesus is dead and now alive again, when we commit ourselves to Christ, we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. Now, does that mean we're not going to sin again? No. But it means that we have the power that raised Jesus from the dead living inside of us so that we can defeat those things in our lives that we need to through the power of the Holy Spirit. Sin does not have the same entangling chain imprisonment power over us anymore. We are free in Christ. And even better than that, we get the privilege to go and tell others. We get to be like the women. We get to go into the world and tell all the people who think they're a Peter, that no, 
Jesus' grace is big enough for you. Jesus' love and forgiveness is big enough for you. And so we get, to, we get to tell the good news. I think sometimes we forget that. We are the bearer, bearers of the best news ever told. That there is a God who created all of this and created all of us and didn't just do it and then leave us alone, but came and, and, and confined himself in a human body, in his own creation, to live the life that we were meant to live so that he could die a death that we deserve. So that ultimately he would rise from the de dead, defeat death, defeat sin, and then we could for all of eternity be with him the way we're supposed to be all along. And in that, we can go through hard times, and there will be hard times. We can walk through times like COVID, and remember, there's hope no matter what happens. There's hope because death has lost its sting, because Jesus is not in the tomb anymore. He's raised from the dead. So let me encourage you, if you're like Peter this morning, and you're feeling far from God, know that you are loved, that you are invited, that you are wanted. And for those of you who know this, don't forget there are Peters out there who need to hear this. And you've got the best news ever to be heard. So go and tell it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of this story. I thank you, Father God, that when you look at the evidence for the resurrection that I didn't have time to go into, that there is so much there. Thank you that Jesus is not in the tomb. Thank you that he is alive and well and sitting on a throne waiting for us to come one day. And Lord, I pray that you would empower us to go and tell this message to others. I pray that you would pave ways for opportunities for us to share this good news. And Lord, I pray for the people in our lives who feel like Peter. Lord God, would you please soften their hearts and help them to know your truth and your love. And Lord, I pray for the people who are listening right now who may feel like a Peter. Lord, I pray that you would draw them, that by your Holy Spirit, you would move inside of them. Lord, have your way. Be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. In addition to these podcasts, please come visit us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling, Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11.15, and experience these encouraging messages, some incredible music, and so much more in person. We would love to meet you. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.